Well, we can all agree that September is a time of new things. September is a time of new things. Next to New Year, January 1st, this is the time of the year when changes and new things can happen for many people, probably mostly for those that are involved in education. I know we have teachers here today who are starting new jobs, some in a new city and a new school, some just in a new school, some in the same school but with uh, changed different responsibilities. And I know we have students that are maybe in school for the first time where both they and their parents have to make adjustments, uh, both logistical and emotional. And there are some students who are in new schools, some maybe in the first year even of post-secondary education or graduate studies. For you, things are all in various stages of change and newness right now. Your surroundings are new, your responsibilities are new, your expectations are new. Uh, Even just the way of doing things in this new location is new. Your fellow students or fellow staff is new. You are on a new team or in a new classroom. And there's a sense where right now you might feel like you don't belong. Everything is strange, and everyone is a stranger. You're not quite comfortable. You just don't feel like you belong. And then for others of you, you're on the other side of the equation. You're back in a familiar setting. You feel like you're back home again after a summer away. You're back with your colleagues. You're back together again with your fellow students. You get to be with your friends every day. You feel like you're back in a place where you belong. Even for those of us who are not involved in school settings, we can all think back on times like this. We've all gone into settings, maybe even a new job, where either we feel like we belong or where we have that initial motion of being in a place where we don't feel at home. Thankfully, most of the time, those feelings subside quickly and we, uh, we quickly feel comfortable. Well, as we now kick off a new ministry year here at the church, I want us to think about that concept of belonging as it relates to the church. And I want to do that by thinking through the very first verses of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be doing an extended study of this book, and so in a way we are embarking on something new as well. But I think in these first three verses, this opening greeting by Paul, we'll find some things to teach us that God will teach us about belonging to this particular group of people. Or for those who might be visiting, the group of people in your local church. I say all this realizing that some of you might be new to our church and to Uh, and and you still have these feelings of unfamiliarity. You might have just started coming this summer. And there might be others of you who have been part of this church for a while, and yet you still feel like you don't really belong. And so I want us to think today about what it is and who it is that actually constitutes the church and how how we get to that point where we all feel like we belong. 
So before we do that, just a little bit of a background on Corinth. This place where, this people where this letter was addressed. Corinth was located in a place that made it uh, one of the bustling metropolitan cities in the Roman Empire. It was a place of much trade and and a place where many different cultures, people of different cultures settled. It was kind of like modern day New York, also located by the sea and, and one of the first places that people settled when they came from Europe. And like New York, Corinth became something of an entertainment capital. It had its own sort of Broadway. And along with that kind of culture came all sorts of moral issues and and problems. And so it was into that sort of setting that Paul came and planted a church. The people called out of that kind of setting, called Christians, would have had to make a huge transformation in the way that they lived. They would have had to make radical changes in their lifestyles. If you want to look a little bit back on the history of Paul's travels there or, or, or Paul's dealings in, in Corinth, you can go back to Acts 18, and it gives us sort of a background of Paul's activities there. You don't need to go back there now. But in verse 11 of Acts 18, we find out that Paul stayed there for 18 months. And it says he stayed there for 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. And so for a year and a half, Paul taught them about God's ways and about God's values as opposed to their former ways and their former values. You that did not grow up in Christian homes would understand this. Living as a Christian is a complete 180 from how you used to live. It takes some uh, committed and dedicated learning on one hand, or instruction from those that are part of the church in order to learn what it means to now live as a disciple of Jesus. But this was the setting for the whole lot of them. In large part, this church was made up of brand new converts. Well, after Paul left Corinth, he settled in another city called Ephesus for three years, and it was during the last part of his three years there that he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. His reason for writing them is that he had heard that things had gone uh, sideways after he left. They had gone south as far as morals and things that were going on in the church there. They were in danger of going back to their old ways. And so Paul writes a letter both to encourage them and to warn them. And he writes to remind them of, of who they are and of how they came to be who they are. And how they absolutely, as a church now, have to work together in order for the gospel to expand in their city. As the church, they needed to be reminded to to stand apart from that which they were called out from. And on the other hand, to stand together to give witness to the gospel. And we'll start to see that as we go through this letter. But Paul starts to formulate these thoughts, even in his greeting at the very beginning. This is a call for the church to stand apart and to stand together, which is what I'm calling this series in 1 Corinthians. And I think this will be a good reminder for us as we start our fall ministry year today. 
And so I'm just going to read those opening words of 1 Corinthians 1. In our letters that we write, those of us that still write letters, uh, we usually identify ourselves at the end. I mean, even in emails this happens. But in the ancient Roman world, they always identified themselves at the beginning of the letter. And so 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul identifies himself, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see a number of good reminders here as we embark on our new year of ministry and as we think about our interconnectedness as a church body. That's what Paul was aiming to do at the outset of this letter, a letter in which he later on will... Uh, more forcefully get in the face of his readers. And so I don't think this, in that way, is a standard greeting. I think what Paul says here is very intentional in preparing him for what, preparing the, the readers for what's to come. So number one, we see here that Paul reminds them of his authority. Paul, an apostle. And he does this not in a in a sticking out his chest kind of way. This is not uh, self-glory or, or pride or uh, an air of arrogance or an assertion of superiority. He starts like this to gain the, res- the respect of his recipients as a teacher of God's word. How do I know that this is not an assertion of, of uh, lording it over them? Because he says, Paul, called by the will of God, to be an apostle. And so this was not some position that Paul um, had angled for or that he climbed the ladder and finally attained through his hard work and effort, through, through various promotions that he got, or that he attained through his sales numbers. No, he was called to be an apostle by the will of God. He was supernaturally appointed by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is important. What he is about to say has been assigned to him by God. The message that he's about to write is God's message. Paul was God's messenger, being sent to the Corinthians to give them this message. And so for us here in church today, 1 Corinthians is a word to us. This letter carries the authority of God. This is first and foremost... Uh, That is first and foremost here. It comes from God's authority. And secondly, God continues to appoint leaders in his church to be the ambassadors of God's message. They are not so in the strict apostolic sense. That was a a one-time office held by those who had seen the resurrected Christ. In order to be called an apostle, you had to have witnessed Christ after his resurrection and before he ascended. But that, so that office ended when the twelve apostles plus Paul had died. But Paul still appoints and calls leaders to speak on his behalf. And he also calls on people to submit to their leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. In our structure here at our church, in our church governance, if you want to put it that way, our church polity, 
uh, and uh, we follow, um, and, and what I believe is this sort of biblically faithful term, we call these men elders. That's whom is the authority over us. And like Paul, this is not something we say pridefully or out of some uh, egomaniacal desire for people to submit to us. We believe that we have been appointed to this role and we do it in fear, frankly. (laughs) Yes, we are fellow sinners. Yes, we are not perfect. Yes, we miss God's mark. We know that all too well. We are not adequate, but our adequacy comes from God. God has appointed our elders as God's messengers for your good to humbly teach you God's word and to pray for you, to encourage you, to help you, to uh, give you counsel, to warn you. These are those whom God has, as 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says, placed over you in the Lord. Obey them. Submit to them. Respect them. Not because they deserve it or because they have earned it, but because they have been placed in these positions for a time. You could argue that that's for a lifetime. By the will of God. So he reminds them of his authority. And we are reminded of our authority. First to God and then to the men that God appoints. Secondly, when we get to verse 2, we see that this letter is written to the church that is in Corinth. This was a letter written specifically as fit the occasion to a local church. And in God putting this letter in his word, Paul's words are for this local church, for Wetaskiwin Mission Church. This word church means uh, called out ones, those who have been called out. Ek, out of, uh, ecclesia is a Greek word, ecclesia, the called out ones. This is the church of God, it says. We're called out of the world. We're called out of the world by whom? It tells us right here that this is the church that God has called out. If you're a Christian, you have been supernaturally and miraculously called out of the world by God to be the church. And then he describes you even further and in a related way. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's writing specifically to those who have been sanctified, to those who have been set apart, called out of the world by God, set apart in Christ Jesus. This is talking about our identity as believers. Who are we? We are the church, the called out ones. We are the sanctified, the set apart ones. God has chosen us out of the world, out of uh, the destructive path of sin and and rebellion and self-destruction that we, we were going, that path that we were going down, And he has saved us into this uh, union with Jesus Christ, raising us up with him. So mark this. You you were not born this way. You were not born a saint. You know, our our babies, we've had lots of babies in this church, and they look like saints when they are born. But they are not. You know that. I know that. And I think they might even know that. And that's what it says next, to those called to be saints. He's writing to the church, he's writing to those who are sanctified, and he's writing to those who are called to be saints. 
This is just an extension of the first two. This whole description is basically two words that are repeated, called and, and holy. And so holy, sanctified, and saints are all in that word group with holy. And now he puts them together. The fact that you are now a saint when you weren't before is only by God's calling. He called you and you responded in repentance and in faith. When God put his call upon you, uh, faith was the inevitable result. He is God. When God calls in a saving way, people respond. When we call someone, they don't always respond. I know that as a parent. But because God is God, people will respond to his call. When God speaks something into creation, it is created. It is God's calling, God's word that makes people holy. And so here's the kicker for us and for our church. The church at Corinth was not even close to being saintly. Our church is far from being saintly. As individuals, we are far from being saintly. And, this, and yet this is who we are. We have been called to be saints. So there's a past action there. We were called, but, but there's also a present calling. We are called to be saints. We're called to live out the calling of God in our lives and in our church. We are to, as Ephesians 4 once says, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We're to walk that way. We're to, we're to walk in the way we have been made, newly made, newly created. And so since we have been set apart, since we have been called out of the world, we need to maintain a safe distance from the world. We are called to be detached, different, distinct. We are called to be holy. And as a church, we are called to be detached, different, distinct. Sure, we can learn some things from the world and we can even adopt and adapt some of the world's uh, technologies and advances, etc. But we are a church. We are not a corporation. We are a church. We are not a business. We are the church. We are not a social club. We are the church. We are not a concert hall. We are the church. We are the church of God that is in Wetaskiwin. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. God has chosen us as his people. He has adopted us into his family. He has brought us all together in this entity, this living organism, this body called the local church. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time today. I want us to think about the next word in verse 2. And that is the word together. This letter was written to those called to be saints together with all those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's where this, this sense, this feeling of belonging comes in. As a Christian, you belong to God and you are united with Christ. That's sort of our individual standing. But you also belong to all those who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a fellowship with other people. You are in one family. You have been woven together into one body. Your identity is a shared identity. We are all of Christ. 
Together we are Christians. Together we are the church. There is a oneness that exists between us. This whole concept is going to become important as we go on in this letter. One of the issues that Paul is going to deal with is divisiveness. And it actually starts not too far into his letter. If you just look down at verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And that theme goes right through to chapter 3 and even into chapter 4. Paul says that as says that as those um, set apart, called to be saints together, we should have no part of division or rivalry or um, disharmony. Rather, we should aim for harmony and unity. And so in chapter 12, Paul writes about the body and And the section that I read, how the different parts work together. And then in chapter 13, he talks about how we ought to love each other. That that chapter, by the way, primarily is not written for those that will be husbands and wives. It is written primarily to how we um, relate to one another in the church. And then in chapter 14, he writes about how we should build each other up. All of that is in reference to the church. So with that in mind, I want to spend the next few minutes just having us think about how we can cultivate this sense of togetherness and of unity and of harmony. Does the Bible, does God provide mechanisms to help us have a sense of belonging? Where we just want to come together whenever the church gathers and worships and learns and mourns, rejoices, praise, does all the things that the church does. How do you come to belong to the church in the first place? Well, if you're here today and would not call yourself a Christian, you might want to listen especially to this part. It all starts by being called by God to be sanctified. That is applied to you when you admit that you are a sinner and when you turn from your sins in sorrowful repentance and when you turn to Christ, when you behold Him and when you trust in His death on the cross as that which paid the penalty for your sins. When you do that, you belong to the church. And the mechanism that the Bible puts into place to make that whole thing public is baptism. When someone gets baptized, they're telling the church, essentially, this is what happened to me. You need to know that I'm now a part of you. I'm the, I, I'm the new guy, the new gal in your family. I belong to you. It's a public declaration of saying, now I belong to the church. I have repented of my sins. I've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the authority of his word, I am now a part of you. I want to stand together with you. If you've become a Christian but have not yet been baptized, you need to do that. This is not an option, but this is a command from Jesus himself. You want to read about that? Just read Matthew 28, 19, and 20. If you would like to be baptized, if you have not done that, please come and talk to me. We would love to do that for you and for others that have not taken that step of baptism. 
If you have already been baptized, another mechanism that I believe is biblical and that is given specifically to show who belongs to a local church is membership. Now, you have to know that membership, that word, is never mentioned in the Bible. Although 1 Corinthians does talk about, the passage that I read again, uh, parts of the body being different members, different members of the body when it uses that metaphor to describe the church. But there are lots of indications throughout the New Testament that in every church, they knew who was part of that church. Every church was organized and its people were identifiable. In other words, membership, I think, in the New Testament is implied everywhere. Here are a couple of examples where it's implied in those verses I put in your sermon notes today. When the church started, you'll read in the beginning of Acts, that it gives some specific numbers of people that it says were added to the church. First 120, then 3,000, then 5,000. Well, that tells us that they were already keeping track somehow. And in Acts 6, when they need people to serve, they recognize that one of the functions of the church is sort of um, not being taken care of. It says that they asked the congregation there to pick from among you Seven men to serve, in that case, serve tables and to make sure no one was left out. So when it says, from among you, that implies, it shows that they couldn't select from the outside. They had to have some way of knowing who was in and who was out. Then you see that line again, from among yourselves. It's used in a case of church discipline. And it's just a few chapters ahead of where we are in 1 Corinthians 5, where they are told to remove the wicked man, wicked man from among yourselves. In verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 5. Again, that makes it seem like they knew who was in the church. In order to remove someone, they, they must have known who was in and who was out. You can't very easily remove someone who's not a part of the church. What are you removing them from? Back in Hebrews 13, 17, it talks about elders as those who keep watch over the souls of their sheep, as those who will have to give an account. Well, how can pastors and elders and shepherds keep watch over the flock and give an account for that soul care if they have no way of telling who is in the flock and who is not? The answer is that they couldn't tell. And so they would have known. They would have had some sort of list So in our church, everyone is not automatically a member. That might surprise you. You might just have assumed that you were one. Well, we require that you apply for membership. Some of our elders will then, upon receiving that application, will then interview you to make sure that you understand the gospel and that you have personally received Jesus as your Lord, that he is your Lord. And then the congregation will vote to accept you into membership on the recommendation of those elders. And so when you become a member, it's a way for us to show uh, a mutual commitment and accountability to each other. For us and you to show that. We commit to pray for you and to give you an opportunity to use your God-given gifts and to help you in your Christian walk. And it's a way for you to commit to participate and to contribute and to attend and even sometimes to be confronted by those who care 
Membership is one of the main ways in which you can really belong to this local church. I love the working definition of membership that I read in an article from a man by the name of Paul Totkus. He says this, I quote, Church membership is the outward demonstration of one's inner commitment to identify with Christ and his followers, to be taught the scriptures, to submit to God's ordained authority structure, to selflessly serve other believers, and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ together. I love that. All of that together is saying, I belong. I belong to Christ. I belong to this church. This is home. I am not an independent Christian. I want to be accountable to other Christians and to hold others to account. I am gladly willing to submit to spiritual authority. I am willing to participate and to use my gifts in the building up of this church. And so I would encourage those of you who have not yet done that to go ahead and to take that step, or at least to investigate it. We have a congregation meeting coming up in the middle of October, and so this would be a good time to get started in that process. We have applications forms, as I mentioned, in the foyer. Pick one up on your way out. I also have some with me today, so please come and find me during lunch or after lunch. I'd love to be able to give you one of those or at least to be able to answer some questions about membership as well. And then the final mechanism that the Bible gives to help you show that you belong is to get you to serve ministry. When you become a Christian, you also receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally enables you to serve in the church by by gracing you, by gifting you with spiritual gifts. And so after you're baptized and become a member, you're able to use your gifts in the ministry of the church. Now, in our church, you can use your spiritual gifts for the good of God's people without joining the church, but some of the ministries in this church are only available to members. And that's because we want to know that you stand with our teaching, with our doctrine, and that you are a Christian before we ask you to serve in certain positions. We can make an argument that says that only those who are believers can actually serve in the church. But we do allow non-members to serve in, in certain positions, but some positions are only open to those who are members. So I encourage you to get involved in service. If that means becoming a member, then go ahead and do that. This final mechanism is why we have these ministry booths up here today. These are here to show you how you can get involved, how you can participate, how you can serve. So, so take this opportunity to talk to those leaders today. Well, our hope and prayer as we start this new ministry year is that this can be a place. Let me rephrase that. That this can be a people with whom you feel like you belong. It won't be perfect. It won't always be comfortable, but we will care for one another. We will warn one another. We will pray for one another. We will correct one another. We will serve one another. We will reprove one another. We will love one another. We will love one another. Because that's who we are. Because that's what Christ did for us in putting us into a church. So be the church. Be baptized. Become a member. Get involved in ministry.
Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this reminder to us from your word, from just this, what seems like just a little greeting. We often in messages kind of skip over that. But we thank you for the profound, deep truths that are found in this greeting that was inspired by you as Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. Lord, we thank you for uh, your authority in our lives. And we thank you that you have placed leaders over us to help us, to encourage us, to warn us, to set us back on the right path, to restore us, to pray for us, to love us. We pray that you would help us as the body to submit to those who are leaders. To submit to you, to submit to your word, and to submit to those who teach your word and who counsel using your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to recognize our identity in Christ, that we have indeed been called out of this world. What a gift that is, what a privilege. Undeserved, yet given to us by your grace and by your kindness. We thank you that you have set us apart. We thank you that we can be called saints only because of what you have done. And then we thank you finally, Lord, for the fact that you have placed us into the church and that together we can do far more than we can do individually. This is how you designed it. This is how you meant it to be. In the Old Testament, you called a nation. In the New Testament, you call people who have been adopted into your family by faith. And then even after we pass from this world, we are going to be uh, glorified into a new community. Into a perfect community at that point. And so we thank you for what you have done in the past, what you continue to do to us, for us, through us, in our lives here on this earth, and what you will do for us in glory. Pray that you'd be with us now as we eat together. Lord, we thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for the food that you have provided as well. And may this time be a time that is honoring to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.